you're a first or second time guest with us this morning, we're really glad that you're here. If you're watching on Facebook, we're really glad that you're watching. As I said, we're uh, going to continue our discussion on finding our purpose. Uh, that's important, right? Because eventually, at the end of our life here on earth, our lives are going to be judged based on our fruit. How did you spend your time, talents, and finances? Did you leverage them for the kingdom of God? Or did you waste them on yourself? Last week, we talked about what it means to live a life of passion. Uh, if you didn't hear that message, you really have to, not because I spoke it, but just because I really believe after preaching last week that this is one of the big elements that's missing in the church. It's one of the big elements that's missing in the church. Passion now in a church is seen as the evil church word, charismatic. Since when did charismatic become a bad word? See how we're allowing the enemy to, to, to teach us lies and we're believing it? It's just passion. Colossians 3.23 reminded us that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. The, the New King James or the King James says, do it heartily. So I decided to look up what does heartily mean? Because that's how we're supposed to live our lives as believers. And we, we saw them last week. We saw words like wholeheartedly, genuinely, deeply. And I love two words that I found, profoundly. I want you to think about that. Are you living your lives profoundly for God? Which profoundly, the definition of that means extremely. Do you know that we're supposed to be an extreme people? We're supposed to be an extreme church. We're supposed to allow the gifts to, to shine and be used. And you know, Who cares what the church next door thinks of us, what they call us? I don't care. We're supposed to live extreme. And some of you are adventurers, so you should like that. People who live eagerly and enthusiastically. Now we see, a, we see a Christian now, and they're so full of joy that they can't shut up, and Christians tell them they need to calm down. Isn't that sad? How far have we gone from the word of the Lord? Whatever you do, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he means when you read the Bible, do it with all your heart. No, it says whatever you do as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you do it with all of your heart and don't worry about what people think of you. I'm pretty sure, and what I got out of last week, is that we are not supposed to be a wimpy Christian. We're not supposed to be a wimpy version of Christianity, cowering and unreactive and passive. That was the word we used, passive. We are to stand out. And when I read the Word of God, what does it say? You are like a light to the world. Not under a bush, cowering and passive. I want you to be set on a hill that cannot be hidden by anyone. Don't let anybody tell you to calm down. So the Bible says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others. Shine. Shine. Don't let your depression shine. Don't let your anger shine. Why are you letting your worry shine? Or your sin shine? Let your love of God shine, right? Let it extremely shine. Enthusiastically shine. How about profoundly shine? So we ended with a statement that will really help you in fulfilling your purpose and destiny right now today, okay? And I prayed it earlier. Don't worry so much about what God wants you to do with your life. Just focus on what he wants you to do today. And I know for Ernie and probably even Alan, I think he, at yesterday's meeting, he pretty much said, he goes, I know what my purpose is now. I'm not going on a missions trip for a while. <laughs> you know I mean? So they're exhausted. So it was, a, it was a good but rough trip. 
They were exploring the land and they found out some things that they don't ever want to do again. And yet they fell in love with the land, so they're definitely going to be going back. They're just going to do it a little differently next time. And they're not just going to eat a chicken that was been hanging on a ceiling for a couple of days. And yeah, they found that out. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the chicken, Jesus. I was stunned when Katie grabbed chicken wings yesterday at the adult Christmas party. By the way, if you missed that party, you missed it. She's eating chicken wings. And I'm like, how can you do that after Africa? She's like, because I, what's that? Got to get back on horse. Because she lives extremely. Yeah. For today, I want to talk to you about the benefits of living a life that is focused and determined to accomplish the will of God. I love these words, by the way. Focus. The C word that none of us like. Committed. With commitment. I love determination. I would love to pastor a church where people are just determined to fulfill their purpose and fulfill the will of God in their life. Direction's a word that we get. That's what I want to help you with today. Why? Because it's going to help you in discovering and fulfilling your purpose in life. Determination. <laughs> I love it. That can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Determination. Depending on where it's directed, right? Which reminds me of a story. A farmer was driving down the road one day and he noticed a sign at a local airport that said, experience the thrill of flying. The farmer thought to himself, well, tomorrow's my wife's birthday. I'd love for her to experience the thrill of flying. That sure would make a nice birthday present. So the farmer went into the airport and after some time, he found a pilot who would take him and his wife on a flight over their farm. So the pilot owned this small open cockpit plane that would certainly give his wife a thrill, but the pilot's price was too high. The farmer bartered with the pilot for a long time, insisting on a lower price, and finally the pilot agreed on a lower price on one condition. The farmer and his wife had to promise the pilot not to say a single word during the entire flight. One word spoken out loud, however small, is going to increase the pilot's price to its original fee. Well, the farmer's determination to give his wife the thrill of flying was only surpassed by his determination to spend as little money as possible. So he agreed on the condition. He was determined. So the next morning, the three of them took off, and soon they were high in the air. The pilot knew that if he just did a little few roller coaster dips and turns with the plane, the couple in the back seat would eventually have to speak up and he would get the price that he really wanted. With that in mind, the pilot dipped, he turned, he climbed, he dived, and even did a few loop-de-loops. But not a sound was uttered from the back of the plane. Not a scream, not a whimper, nothing but complete silence. So as they were landing, the pilot, amazed at the determination of his passengers, he yelled back to the farmer, I can't believe you didn't say something up there. Why, I dipped and I turned and I climbed and I dived as I never have before. But you two were so quiet the whole time. Well, I guess you win. You get the lower price. The old farmer shouted back, Well, you almost won, son. You almost won. I sure felt like hollering when my wife fell out of the plane. See, a lot, of us are a, lot, a lot of us are a lot like that farmer. We're so determined to get what we want on our terms and our way. But you know what? It usually comes with a price. It comes with something that you don't usually count on. We let pride or stubbornness get in the way of listening to reason or doing what we know is right. 
You know what God wants, but you want something else. And before long, there's a battle of the wills. Have you ever had that battle with the Lord? Which, by the way, he always wins. If you can relate to this story even a little bit, maybe you're a strong-willed person with a mind of your own. Listen, this is the message today. God wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to break that stubbornness and that that strong-willed person inside of you, and he wants to use that, and he wants to use it for the kingdom. So he doesn't necessarily want to break it and get rid of it. He just wants to, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like transform it into the kingdom. Own it. Own it? Hone it. He wants to hone it. Yes. See, we can, we can be so determined to, to use that, we want our own way, right up till destruction. And he wants to use it so when you get there, you go, oh, honey, I am so proud of you. That day when you decided, when you were about to go this direction, because you wanted this thing so bad, and you decided to just submit to my will, and you went this way. Look at all, let me, can I just... I want to show you all the fruit in heaven from that decision that day. Can you imagine? And you get to see in heaven all the fruit that came of that one decision. He wants to change and transform your determination into a determination to serve Christ. And to stick with that no matter what. So listen closely, church. I hope you really get this. God is looking for people who stubbornly refuse to turn away from Jesus. Stubbornly refuse to turn away from His will for your life, a relationship with Him, whatever it is. A lot of us are focused and determined to follow a certain direction. In fact, some of us are even stubborn about it. But the question is, what direction are you going? Right now, how would you answer that without answering out loud? What direction are you going? Think about it like this. When we get into a vehicle, we usually have a destination in mind. Is that correct? I mean, I know there's sometimes you get in a vehicle just to, just to drive, but that doesn't happen very often. We should probably do that more often, but in, in today's, the context of today's message, don't, don't hear that part. Usually when we get in our vehicle, we drive for, from point A to point B. Am I right? And we usually take the shortest route possible. We stick closely to the map or the GPS. Why? Because we don't want to waste any time. We want to be productive and efficient because we don't have a lot of time. So we're focused and determined. Now, in, with that in mind, can I tell you something? We need to learn to live like we drive. Now, now take that in context of what I said, because the way some of you drive, you should not be living that way. But in, in context of what I said, getting from point A to point B and how determined and focused we are, we need to learn to live the way we drive. In your notes. Without focus and direction in life, obviously this is like a duh statement. It's easy to get lost, but I just want you to see that before we dive into this. Without focus and direction, it's easy to get lost. And some of you have lived this and you can say, amen, that was me five years ago. That was me last week and I decided to come today because I'm sick of being lost. And I just need to consistently be in church, hear the word of God, hear these messages, be consistently in my word, consistently praying, consistently fasting, consistently. I just, I have to be focused on this or I would be lost. If our goal as a believer is to bring glory to God with our lives, then we need to live the same focused life that Jesus lived. 
It's not like we have to read a book about it. We don't have to find some self-help book. We have it. We just need to live as Jesus lived, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the focused life from John 17. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't and you want to follow along in the Black Bible, uh, it's under the chairs in front of you if you can find one. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen. John chapter 17, it's page 1070 in the Black Bibles. John 17 contains, and, and this is going to freak you out, but remember, we're a church who doesn't watch the clock, right? Okay, so John 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed this prayer the night before he was crucified. The night before. So right away, we have to be thinking, this has to be powerful. This may have been one of his last prayers on earth. This has to be powerful. Well, this prayer that he's about to pray in John 17 is a summary of three years of his relationship with the Father. And when we read it, we get a glimpse of the intimacy between father and son. And we can take away some principles that can help us focus our lives as sharply as Jesus focused his on carrying out his father's will. So it's a little long, and I usually don't read this much in one time. And you're going to be tempted with distraction, but it's so powerful that I want you to practice your focus. You ready? That's what we're talking about. So we're going to read it, and then we're going to break it down and receive from the Holy Spirit some principles that could transform our lives. Now, typically, when we read something like this, we think often that it's too spiritual for little, little old messed up me. It's a prayer that only Jesus could pray. But there's a little word in this prayer that's supposed to make us think differently. And I've never pointed out this word before in the Word of God, and now it's just completely wrecked me. And I just can't wait. I think I'm just going to read the Word of God totally different now. The word is as. A-S. As. As is a connection word. What is the one that we know very often? On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. What is that word? What does it do? It connects us. It connects earth to heaven. And heaven to earth. It's a connection word. How many of you know that Jesus is all about being connected and staying connected? Do you realize he wants you to be connected and stay connected to the local church, the body of Christ? He never wants you to leave it because you're kind of like on your own doing your own will then. He wants you to remain in him, remain in the body of Christ, remain with your family. You know, even when they point out something that's none of their business. That's what family does, right? So he uses this little tiny word, as, to make some huge and powerful points. He's about to pray over us that our lives can be similar to his in how we relate to the Father and how our lives can be as focused on carrying out God's will as Jesus' life was. This is an amazing passage. I was blown away by this, so stay focused. Are you ready? The first thing Jesus does in the first couple verses is he prays for himself. Jesus spoke these words in verse 1, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As, everybody say as. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And guess what? That's you. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Watch this now. This was Jesus' purpose for coming to planet Earth. 
And it's your purpose for being here as well. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. How are you doing? How are you doing at glorifying your Father on earth? I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Have you even started it yet? Jesus said, I have glorified you and I have finished the work that you've given me to do. And now, O Father, verse 5 says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Then he begins to pray for his disciples. I have manifested, in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. I want you to think about that as a Christian and what you're called to at Dubois Light and Life, that you are to have a Becky. And you are to manifest your name to the people that God has put in your circle of influence to bring into the kingdom. What is your purpose? To display, to show, to brag about, and to bring glory to God to everyone you come into contact with. Your neighbor, right? How are you doing with that? <laughs> this series really brings purpose. You don't have to do anything with it. But when I read this, I'm like, okay, if I'm supposed to be as Jesus was on earth then I have to manifest the Father's name and Jesus' name to men who have been in my circle of influence. Even when you're in Africa and they don't do anything like Americans do. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse 7, Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. Are you, are you sharing on Monday at work what God spoke to you on Sunday? And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Wow. Connection word. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, which was Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, verse 13, and these things I speak in the world. So yeah, Ernie, sometimes God's going to have you speak even when you're scared and out of practice. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Oh, so we have to be ready to share this, so we better know it. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. The, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also will send them to Africa. And Russia, and Panama, and even Iraq, I guess, okay? And Turkey, Alan. Just if you have sent me into the world, just as I'm going to send them into the world. And your world may be Dubois, but I guarantee you it's not in front of a video game 24 hours a day. Right? Okay, so yeah, you can say, why well, minister to people? Yes, I understand you can do that. But come on. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then he starts to pray for believers in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all may be one. Jesus prayed for you this day. This is what he prayed over you before you were even born. Did you hear what he said? 
I, I don't just pray for my disciples, but I also pray for those who will believe in me one day from hearing their message, their witness, their testimony, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. What? That's crazy. We can have the same relationship with God that Jesus does. We can flow in the same power that Jesus and God work together on. What, are you kidding me? I don't deserve this. What are you talking about? And you prayed this over me before I was born. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. You see how we're living such wimpy Christian lives? And we're so caught up in all the turmoils of this life. And we, just, it just, we, we forget this. Or maybe we never knew this before. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. This is another as moment. You have loved them as much as you loved me. Father, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. And will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You don't need any more proof that we are to be so intimately connected with God that we are to live out the same purpose that Jesus had on planet earth. He just connected us with him. Father, everything you did for me while I was here in my three years of ministry, while I was here on earth, everything you did for me, you're going to do the same thing for them. Of course, he added a... a an extreme caveat later on, right before he, what did he say? Even more. Even more. You know why? Because you have more time on earth than he did. And you have the Holy Spirit with you, and like, like he did too, but like you have more time, more people. He, he couldn't reach all the people that you can reach. You know, that's why it's so important not to miss church. I'm, I'm telling you, like, like we had a good crowd last night, but every time you miss a party and every time you miss church, it affects the atmosphere. We should, we should be, there shouldn't be a seat empty. We should have to be setting up extra seats. We should have people coming and complaining and say, do you know where I had to park today? I had to park downtown Dubois and get a ride from a friend who doesn't go to church to get to church today. So really quickly, I want to give you truths about how your life's purpose should be the same as Jesus' life. My purpose, same as Jesus' purpose. Everybody say same as, okay? Let's not let the enemy disqualify us this morning. Oh, pastor, but if you only knew. I don't care. I don't need to know. He qualified you. I don't qualify you. He qualified you in this prayer. Just as. So what is it? Well, the first thing I see in that passage is we have the same Life, as Jesus did. He said that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. In verse 2, we learn that we have the same life in us that Christ has in him. Eternal life. Christ possessed eternal life and came to give that eternal life to us. Wow. 
So the problem is some of us as Christians, we go, you know what? That's enough for me. That's all I want to do. Don't, don't tell me to serve. Don't tell me to go anywhere. Africa's too uncomfortable. Russia's too hard. Panama's too hot. I'm preaching to myself right now. <laughs> I don't want to go to Africa. I didn't want to go to Russia either. Some of us just stay there and go, you know what? I have my ticket to heaven. Leave me alone. Don't, don't, don't preach any uncomfortable messages to me. I have my ticket. Just let me quietly go to heaven. I don't think so. I don't think that's living with all of your heart. Right? I don't think that's living heartily, extremely, profoundly. I don't think that's making an impact on the world. I think you just, that's a selfish motive right there. So you may make it to heaven, but what's your reward going to be? I hope you know by now that, that, I don't know, I hope you know my heart for you is to live profoundly so that you have something for, it's not so it's a reflection on me as your pastor. I want you, when you get to heaven, just, I just want all of heaven to bow before you. That's what I want for you. The second thing I see in this passage is that we have the same relationship we have the same relationship. He said that they may be one as we are. In verse 11, the word as appears again. And here Jesus prays that his followers may have the same relationship that he and the Father have. As Jesus is to the Father, so we are to be with each other. And then I see that we receive the same treatment. And I mean, you might not like this one, but Jesus said it, right? Okay, he said, the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So in verse 14, we find that we can expect the same treatment from the world that Jesus received. Maybe you experienced that in Africa a little bit. I don't know. Because we identify with Jesus, people will treat us the same way they treated him. Okay? Then I see that we have the same mission. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Our mission in this world is, to con is a continuation of Jesus' mission. We're finishing it for him. Then I see in your notes that we have the same unity, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed that his followers might have the same unity as he and the Father have, and for good reason, so that the world may believe that you actually sent me. And then we see that Jesus said that they may have the same glory. I mean, I can't even wrap my arms around this one. The glory which you gave me, I have given them. Are you guys hearing this? This is why I don't want you to just stop with the first one and go, I have my ticket to heaven. I don't want you to just be satisfied with that. There's so much more to your relationship. There's relationship. There's treatment. I mean, you know, it's great. It's great. Because you know what's awesome about being treated the way Jesus was treated? Is we get to respond the way he responded. Forgiving them before they actually did it. Forgiving them because they don't know what they're doing right? We have the same mission. We have the same unity. And now he goes to an extreme because Jesus was extreme. I have given them the same glory that you've given me. You thought you had to wait till heaven to have the glory of God upon your life? No way. You have it right now. So start acting like it. Come on. You have the glory of God upon you. I, we, I, we had a uh, so I, I kind of let that out of the bag and didn't even realize it was in the message. But we had a, oh, it was so annoying. When, I, when you're a teenager, it's just so annoying. But I was at Christian camp, and we had this counselor for a whole week who just loved mornings. 
And if you know me, I mean, you know, even as a teenager, I was like this. I hate mornings. I like to stay up late and I like to sleep in. And he would come in after his counselor devotions and he just fired up and connected with God and they had amazing and I'm still snoring and he comes in and goes rise and shine for the glory of God has risen upon you and I'm like shut up dude and that's what we do today as Christians someone comes into the church they're a little charismatic and we go you need to calm down oh my word how can you calm down when the glory of God is upon you oh my word That's the kind of church I want to attend, even as a pastor, to be with a group of people who have the glory of God all over them. Because when you do, depression and anger and worry and even sin can't stick to you when you have the glory of God upon you. Because you've been coated with the Teflon of glory. (laughs) If you understand Teflon and pans, I like that. The last one that I see there, and you may see more, but we have the same love. We have the same love that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as much as you have loved me. Jesus prays that the world might know that the Father loves Jesus' followers in the same way that he loved Jesus himself. I mean, I can't even imagine that. Can you imagine that? Now, here's the point with all of Jesus' use of this word as and by the way, some of you, some of your language, like you just need to drop one ass off. Just get rid of one ass and you have ass. Stop speaking that other word, that three-letter word. Just start speaking that second word. I'm sorry, but we have to lay you off today. That's okay. Because I have the same Jehovah Jireh as Jesus does. Instead of saying, what, you're firing me? You... We just have to drop one letter off, and I think it'll change our life. I'm going to contain myself because I really want to go further with that, but I'm going to lose my job if I do. Okay? So here's the point with all of Jesus' use of the word as here in this prayer. Are you ready for it? This is hard to, hard to really like, how do you say this and understand it? If we would be to Jesus what Jesus is to the Father, then Jesus will be to us what the Father is to him. In other words, if Christians will learn from the relationship between Jesus and the Father, we will have an idea of how Jesus wants us to relate to him. Jesus came to the earth focused on the Father's mission, and in the same way, we are to be focused on Jesus' mission on earth. So now let's take this prayer just for a moment, John 17, and I just want to look at it in a practical way, just for a moment. We're going to set aside the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's divine, and we're going to focus on only his humanity, the fact that he came in flesh as well. We can see, when you do that, we can see in this prayer the reason why Jesus changed the world. He was absolutely focused, even as a human, on accomplishing the will of God for his life. He lived a focused life. So maybe, just maybe in your notes, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe it is focused living that is the key to remaining unaffected by all the things that life throws at us. Maybe. Maybe it's focused living that is the key to remaining unaffected by the ups and downs that we go through in this world. Is that sinking into your soul? Because your soul is what needs to hear this. Even at the age of 12, Jesus knew he had to be about his father's business. And let me remind you something. Jesus faced trials and persecution that you will probably never face in your lifetime. 
And do you know that because he was so focused on his father, he was able to get through it? And he was able to, right, at the, right in the middle of it, he was still able to love people. You hear that? Even in the middle of persecution at work, he was still able to love people. And at the moment that he was hanging them on the cross, what did he do? Father, forgive them. I love them so much, they really don't understand the big picture. All they see is what's in front of them. You see, there's more messages to that cross, that message at the cross that he was saying. They, they don't get it. They're, they're trapped in their life. They're tra- they think earth is heaven. They don't understand, Father. They don't see what we see. So forgive them. We have to be big picture people. We, our minds have to be in the heavenly realm to understand that we can't let people affect us. And we don't need to respond the way our flesh wants to respond. We need to think, how did Jesus respond? I want to respond as Jesus responded. Just drop one ass off the word. It's going to change your life. Until Jesus' work and his purpose was finished, he would never drift from the path. Even though he knew that that path led to the cross. So I just want to ask you this morning, just to pause for a minute. Are we as focused as our Messiah was focused? Are we as focused on the will of God as Jesus was? And if so, what has caused so many believers today to drift from the path? So this is what Dr. David Jeremiah has to say about it. I believe God expects each of us to seek a knowledge of his will for our lives and pursue that will with dedicated focus. And I'm not referring just to people who work in the ministry. Every Christian, everybody say every Christian. Every Christian, regardless of occupation, is first a Christian before being a teacher, businessman, or carpenter. God's will for us means being his ambassador in whatever our work setting happens to be. We can be wholly consumed, I love these words, we can be wholly consumed with God's will, whether we are changing a diaper or preparing a sermon. The task is all the same to God in the sense that he has each of us in his place of service. Focus is the same task wherever we happen to be serving. What an amazing quote. Listen, in your notes, long before anything existed, long before anything existed, the eternal God knew you and what you would do and accomplish for him. Our challenge is to focus on that calling. See how Satan tried to get rid of it? But no, no. Katie said, and not today, Satan. Our challenge is to focus on that calling. And listen, some of us today have to move ourselves from the direction we're going to the direction God wants us into the place and then be in step with that plan. Some of us just have to make some really some small decisions and some of us have to make some major decisions because we're just not going in the direction we know God wants us to go. So our challenge is to focus on the calling, move ourselves into the place of being in step with the plan that God has for our life. Only then will our life make sense. Want to know why uh, many Christians don't ask God? what his plan is for their lives? They don't want to know because they're afraid he's going to ask them to do something they don't want to do. Now, hear me out on this. There's times he's going to ask you to do things. But what I'm talking about is, if you take last week's message, I'm talking about your passion. He really wants to align your passion with your calling. I believe that is your calling. So, But what we're afraid of is that he's going to ask us to do something that we don't want to do, like be a missionary or work in the inner city. Can I tell you how silly that is? And and I cleaned that up because that's not what I wanted to say. Can I tell you how silly that is? We forget that our God is a loving, heavenly Father 
who knows his children and who gives good gifts to them. When are we going to stop living in fear for crying out loud? We have everything at our disposal that Jesus had. What are we afraid of? He's not going to ask you to do anything that you're not passionate about. Well, he may on occasion. But your main purpose, your main calling, you're going to be passionate about it. So let's just, let's just, can we just stop? And I just feel like we need to ask a prayer of forgiveness. Father, we come before you right now. And I don't know who can resonate with this or not. But if you can, just kind of just pray this with me. We, we ask for forgiveness for leading wimpy, passive depressing lives. Father, we are asking you this morning to make us more intentional, more purpose-driven, more courageous warriors for the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to end today with giving you five benefits of living a focused life. Five benefits of living a focused life. This is just as Jesus illustrated for us. And remember, he was tempted just like we are. So I'm sure there were days where he was tempted to lose focus. Jerry? I'm sure Jesus had days where he was tempted to lose focus, just like we do. So the first benefit, if you take the path of living a focused life, is this in your notes. Number one, nothing can distract you. If you live a focused life, nothing can distract you. Do you ever get distracted? And I don't mean just for a moment or for a day during the day. I mean distracted in your life for weeks or months or years. And then one day you wake up and you ask yourself, why am I doing this? This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience? The problem is you have to know what you're supposed to be doing in order to realize you've been distracted. So some of you just don't know. You don't even realize you're distracted because you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing. Well, man, just take this series and just whatever. Study it out word for word. The scriptures word for word. Study it out and make this your mission to have purpose in 2020. Well, starting today, don't wait for 2020. It might just change your Christmas. We have to know what we're supposed to be doing in order to realize we've been distracted or drifting from it. And you want to know what I think is distracting us the most right now in 2019? People and technology. Obviously, sin is an issue, right? But we allow what people think and feel about our lives to cause us to drift from the path that we know, we know we're supposed to be in. Man, I tell you what, some of you need to get on your knees and thank God that you have an annoying Christian family member or person in your life that had been forcing you to come to church and get a relationship with a God. You need, to, you need to buy them an incredible Christmas gift this year or send them a letter. Even if it was 50 years ago, you send them a letter this Christmas and say, thank you, thank you for being persistent and making sure that I came into the kingdom because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you. But we, you know, sometimes we have well-meaning good people who cause us to drift away from God's purpose for our life. I think you've heard us say over and over, and I know they're sitting here, but I don't remember exactly 14 years ago, what was said. We're going on our 14th year this April. Crazy. Uh, but when we decided to answer the call and come to Dubois, our families were not happy. Well, good meaning people saying, are you sure you're doing the right thing? I mean, so well, good meaning, even Christian people can steer you away from God's purpose for your life. You have to be careful where you're getting advice from. You have to be careful where you're getting your advice from. You have to be careful where you're getting your advice from. So parents, if your child is a young adult, let them ask God what they're supposed to do. 
It's not your calling to decide for them. Teach them to seek God and obey Him. And sometimes we, and I want you to really think about this, sometimes we think our destiny is a person. You know what I mean? Instead of pursuing God to find out our life's purpose and meaning, we pursue a person to fill all the voids and holes in our heart. If I only had a spouse, my life would be fulfilled. I'm sorry, but I've been married for 20-some years. And that's putting something on them that they are not meant to carry. My wife is not supposed to fulfill all my needs and wants and bring me glory. She's just not. She's not that good. She's good. She's not God. Sorry, babe. Being married is awesome. It is rewarding. But listen, hear me out. You can only be fulfilled when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen with that? Right? Right? You can only be fulfilled in a marriage if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, we're, and, and real quick, we just allow technology to keep us from having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it takes up all our time. Right? And we have nothing left for God at the end of our day. The second benefit of a focused life. So first, we, nothing can distract us. Nothing can destroy you. Dr. Jeremiah admits in his book that he used to have a fear of flying. He wasn't afraid of death, but he was afraid of leaving his family behind. He didn't want to die because he had grandkids come in and, you know, and send his friend walked up to him and he said this, and I just thought this was so cool. His friend said, he said he wrote it on the front of his Bible and he'd never forgotten it. God's man in the center of God's will is immortal until God is finished with him. Oh, nothing can destroy you. Not even your spouse leaving you. So what does that quote mean? That quote, this is what it means to me. If I'm in the middle of God's will, if I'm pursuing his calling on my life, I am living under his protection. If I go my way, I walk out from under his protection, I'm on my own. And I'm on the road of destruction. The moment I redirect myself, get back into his will for my life, I am under his protection. Nothing can destroy me. Even if someone stabs me in the heart or walks in here today and shoots me, I am in heaven. I am not destroyed. I actually have reached my full potential. They just helped me get there quicker. We don't have to fear death. Holy cow. This prayer changes our lives. I mean, it's long, but man, some of us maybe just need to stay in that prayer for a whole year and just soak in it. It's crazy what he tells us here. It's crazy extreme. Now, although I'm living under his protection if I'm in his will, we still have to use wisdom and common sense, right? But when we are prayerfully following God's direction for our lives, nothing can disrupt that plan. And I think Jesus got overwhelmed with his calling at times. In fact, there's proof that Jesus was troubled in John chapter 12. But I want you to see how he responded. This is someone who's focused. Ready? John 12. This, this really wrecked me when I read this. John 12, starting with verse 27, 27 and 28. Now, what does it say? What is Jesus admitting? Trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. He had moments. My soul is troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this trouble. Save me from any trouble in this life. Save me from divorce or being single or from losing a job or a loved one. No! It was for this very trouble I came to this hour. Father, use my trouble to glorify your name. Holy cow. 
Trouble is not supposed to divert us from our faith. Bad circumstances are not supposed to divert us from church and God's plan for our lives. In fact, they're supposed to bring glory to God's name. Jesus is basically saying, even if trouble comes, I don't worry about it because I believe God is in the middle of my trouble. In other words, and you need to listen carefully to this, maybe the trouble that Jesus faced was part of God's plan for his life. Maybe. Now up to this point, we have said in this series that we need to learn to leverage our time, talents, and finances for the kingdom of God. That's your purpose. That's what you're going to be rewarded on. That's what's going to produce fruit. How do I leverage my house? I, I, I guarantee you, Alan and Carmi, who we need to keep praying for, they're going to keep looking at houses. They're going to look at some today. We need to pray for God to answer that prayer. Most of our homeless people are now in homes. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. But I, I, I know their heart. I know their heart. They're not just buying a house where their family can just isolate themselves from the world. They're saying, Father, we want a house not just for us, but for your kingdom. So we don't want a small house. We want to think big. We're extreme people. So we want many rooms so that we can take other people in, just like people have taken us in. We just want it to be a blessing for your kingdom. Right? That's the way we need to look at that. So we've said, how do we leverage our time, our talents, and our possessions? But what about what Jesus just said in John 12? How about if we just ramp this up a little and learn to leverage our troubles for the kingdom of God? Can you imagine getting to that point in your maturity? When our weaknesses become our strengths. And that's not my idea. That came from here. When our failures and mistakes become the most powerful part of your story instead of the most shameful part. Leverage them for the kingdom. Come on, believers. This is good. The third benefit is nothing can discourage you. Nothing in your notes can discourage you. Did you know that trouble can actually help you in bringing clarity to your life? Did you know that pain can sometimes get your attention and help redirect you? Paul testified this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12, through 12, and we used to sing about it, and once in a while, Dusty brings it up again. Do you know that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, you can be knocked down without being knocked out. I'm pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Nothing can discourage you when you're focused on your life, a focused life for Jesus. When we live a focused life, a little trouble can help us double-check our bearings to make sure that we're on the right path. The fourth benefit is nothing can disappoint you. We only have one more after this. Hang in there. Nothing can disappoint you. When Jesus saw that his hour was approaching, he realized that his disciples were going to scatter because of their fear. Can you imagine this? He understood that. But he knew that he would not be alone because the Father would be with him. Then on the day of his crucifixion, he looked down from the cross and how many out of the 250 that were following him were there? One. Do you know this is what happens when, when pastors kind of get booted out of the church? Like everybody just, he's alone. Like where, where is his friends? I thought he had friends. This is the way Jesus felt. He looked down from the cross and there was one guy there that he poured his life into, this group of men. He poured his life into them for three years and nobody was there at his, at his most desperate hour. But do you know why he wasn't disappointed? <laughs> because he understood that the path that the Lord had him on 
that God had him on was going to be a difficult one. He didn't come to earth to win popularity contests. He came to die to redeem the world from sin. Listen, the rejection and the abandonment that he experienced that day on the cross was part of his mission. And he knew that God was with him even though men wouldn't be. Did you hear that part? When you decide to live extreme for Jesus, you, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, you will lose friends. Are you willing to walk alone for Jesus? I made this decision in high school. I had so many people because I was on the basketball team and I was with the popular crowd and they told me one day that their number one goal because I was so funny sober was to get me drunk. They, they kept saying, we can't imagine how funny you would be if you were drunk. And so they hounded me and hounded me. And eventually I stood up and I made a stand at lunch one day and I said, y'all need to cut it out because I am never going to a party with you and I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. So all you girls need to stop asking. I'm not going to do it. And if you can't accept me, I accept you for who you are. If you can't accept me for who I am, then we can't be friends. And I walked out of that room and the bell just happened to ring at that moment. And I remember walking down at Southside High School, 1985 or something, 86. And I, I, I just, I was weeping. In fact, some of the teachers actually tried to stop me to ask what was going on. But I was just weeping because I had a moment with God that I'll never forget in my, my whole life. I said, he, he, I said to God, I said, I will not compromise my faith in you for friends. And if, I, if it's just me and you the rest of my career at high school, I'm okay with that. And I let everybody go in my life. So obviously the things of the Bible make no sense to the human mind, right? The very next day, the very next day, some guy on the basketball team came up to me. Now, he did it kind of like the guy in the Bible who did it at night. Well, who, was, who was that? Was that Nicodemus? Nicodemus, who came at night to tell Jesus, I'm on your side, but don't tell them because I can get in trouble. And I had a guy in the basketball team said, man, I have never seen anything like that in my whole life. Do you know I'm a Christian? I went, no. <laughs> nope. Because you don't live like one. I didn't say that, but I'm like, nope, I didn't. He goes, yeah, I am, but I'm going to start being one for real now. I've never seen anybody not be afraid to tell people what they think and what they believe. The very next day, and I don't know if he, people that I graduated listen to me, but uh, what was his last name? I can't think of his name. I just remember Rob for some reason. But Rob came up to me, uh, sat down with me. I was out in the hall, and there were people sitting with me. People didn't abandon me, by the way. They didn't. In fact, more people were flocking to me after that day than I've ever had. And Rob came up to me and he said, dude, I'm having some problems with my girlfriend and I didn't know who else to go to and I knew you would help me. And they were all at the table that day, two days ago. And now he's coming up to me. He's like, well, I said, do you have a pen and paper? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, why? I said, because I'm going to tell you exactly what to write to her. And so he wrote her a love letter that I wrote, basically. He just wrote it. And they restored the relationship and I believe they're married to this day. And it was over. In her mind, it was over. Like he was desperate. So you see... We follow the word of God. We make a stand. We follow his will. And, and it's not what you think. The enemy lies to you and says you're going to be all alone and you're not going to have any, you know, but we have to be willing to stand alone to realize that people are actually going to flock to us because we're going to have the fragrance of Christ coming from us. I don't tell you any story about myself to lift myself up on a pedestal. I'm just trying to prove to you that it works. I lived it out. And it doesn't mean I made every decision right in high school. Oh, my word, no. 
But that day I decided I had to walk alone because all of this pressure from the world to get me to things to do, to go down a path that I knew led to destruction. Jesus wasn't disappointed because he understood the path that he was on was a difficult one, right? So this is what we have to decide this morning. We have to decide whether the approval of people or of God is most important. What is most important to you, the approval of God or the approval of people? And when your focus is God, nothing's going to disappoint you. I was not disappointed by that decision. In fact, I had people flocking to me. I had teachers coming to me for counseling. At the age of 14, I was counseling married couples in my church. When you make a stand for God and and you say, I'm going to just fulfill his purpose, I'm telling you, he's going to use you and you're going to have fruit in your life. The last benefit of living a focused life, number five, nothing can defeat you. Can I get an amen for that? Nothing can defeat you. Think about all the people and demonic forces that tried to destroy Jesus. And now in today's passage, knowing that he's going to be crucified in a few hours, Jesus still prayed this in verse 4. This sentence would be amazing to have on a tombstone. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Hallelujah. All we can do is what Jesus did. Stay focused on the calling that God is giving us today and serve God in our generation. Don't worry about the generation before. Don't worry about the next generation. You're in this generation. Serve it. And if you do that, you will not be defeated. The greatest victory we can ever have is to live as Jesus lived, focused on the will of the Father for our life in our generation. I want to end with a quote from Dr. David Jeremiah. It's a little long, stay focused. We're a church who doesn't watch the clock. Ready? The next time someone asks you, what do you do? Remember the story of the stonemasons working on the great cathedral years ago in England. Two of them described their jobs in terms of laying brick or cutting wood. But the third said, I'm building a great cathedral to the glory of God. It was only the third who understood the idea of vision and focus. Having a job is one thing, but seeing that job within the context of God's plan for your life is altogether another. How do you see what you do as a meal ticket, a way to buy food and pay the rent, or as a, I love this, as a marvelous, think about this tomorrow morning because Monday mornings are rough. I have an opportunity to to have a marvelous God-ordained opportunity to discover today at work. Do you see it as a marvelous God-ordained opportunity to discover even more about how God wants to use you in the midst of the everyday routines of life in this world? True, our jobs are not always bursting with excitement, but God is. And when we get up with him every day, intent on following the path he has given us, well, just try it and see what happens. Let's stand. You ready to place your hand on your heart? If you're willing to, you don't have to. I really believe with this series, God has just given me prayers. I mean, you can respond to the altar uh, if... um, Katie will get some music on and you can just ask God to really just cement these and grab one of the leaders if you want someone to pray specifically over you. Maybe God really spoke something to you and listen, I think this is, this is what it is. It's like you realize today that you, you're not just on a different path than God's path, but you're, you're so stubborn about it that nothing's going to tell you to get off of that path. I'm really scared for you. So if you've decided I need to get off this path and I need help and just come to us and we'll, we'll, we'll try to help you. And we'll let the Holy Spirit do it and you know, just be redirected. Let's start with this prayer. And we're just going to close and send you on your way to fulfill your purpose and leverage your job and your home. If you're leveraging your home, you should be having somebody over for dinner today. It's Sunday. 
What's my day off? Exactly. That's a perfect time because you're too busy the rest of the week. Leverage your food. Leverage your home. Leverage your time. Build relationship. Bring connection. Bring community to the church, to the body of Christ, to your neighborhood. doesn't have to be church people. Invite your neighbor over. Ready? I know you're ready. You're like, please, will you just start praying? God, help me to be more determined than ever before to serve you and to stick with you no matter what. Help me to be absolutely focused on accomplishing your will for my life for your glory as Jesus did. I receive the benefits that come from living a focused life. You understand what's happening? We're going to receive them right now into our souls, into our spirits. That nothing will distract me. Feel free to shout it. Nothing will distract me. Nothing will destroy me. Nothing will discourage me. Nothing will disappoint me. And nothing will defeat me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.